Do I still have to redact it, even though you guys are on record? It's called TSFCI. I think I'm a little nicer in real life than I am on Twitter. It's not hard. Feminist like mileage accounts. Welcome to Unredacted. I'm Philippe Brynus, and I'm here with my co-host, Emily Branwin. Hey. And uh, today we're here with, well, I don't know exactly who we're here with. Uh, she <laughs> goes by the pseudonym A.G., and here's what we do know. Uh, she's a veteran and uh, held a senior role in the United States government. Um, no, she is not Q, even though that's the same uh, same resume as Q does, but she, along with Jaleesa Johnson and Jordan Coburn host Muller, she wrote, which uh, it mixes comedy and legal commentary and political analysis from a liberal perspective and centers on, you guessed it, the Mueller investigation. Um, for those of you who've listened, and a lot of you do, it's absolutely funny, but um, more seriously, they have mastered the minutia of everything Russia and Mueller. They've got a great track record with their predictions, which will probably force a couple out of her today. And um, I just have one biographical question. Um, have we met at any point? Have we crossed paths in our U.S. government service? I don't know. Perhaps. Can you tell me what agency you work for? I worked for the Department of State, and I worked on Capitol Hill. If, if, if you're not sure, the answer is, is no. I tend to, unfortunately, leave a strong impression one way or the other. So You would know. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of glad. Um, so we wanted uh, – obviously, this is perfect timing given um, Bob Mueller's testimony this week. But can you take a step back and, and tell us where you came up with the idea for Mueller, she wrote? Sure, absolutely. Um, toward the end of 2017, about four or five months after Mueller had been appointed, uh, I noticed that NBC threw up their old documentary – uh, on on TV called, I think it was called All the President's Men Revisited. And it was a documentary about Watergate. And they had all the old regulars on there, Maddo and uh, Matthews, talking about the Watergate investigation. I'm assuming they did that because people at that point, about five months into Mueller's appointment, were starting to draw parallels between the Watergate investigation and the Mueller investigation and, of course, Nixon and Trump. And as I was watching it, it dawned on me that in 20 or 30 or maybe 40 years, somebody was going to be doing a documentary about the Mueller investigation, and I immediately wanted to be involved. That was like the initial uh, mission. So, And uh, I also found that trying to find all the news about the Mueller investigation was kind of a chore. I had to go and look and specifically search for all the different things. And I said, I think it'd be a great idea to put it all together in one spot so people who are following this investigation can find everything that they need. And then we just sort of became the librarians of, of the Mueller investigation. That's actually pretty sobering to think about the way you just said it about how it'll be looked back 30, 40 years. I don't know that we're going to be judged particularly well on this period of time and particularly how the U.S. Congress is handling um, its oversight responsibilities. Um, and in, on that note, in the wake of the Mueller hearing, and I'm using the word wake very much as a as a pun um, <laughs> because I have to admit it's pretty pretty deflating. Um, what, tell us what you were thinking. I, I assume you watched it. Um, if not, uh, 
just wing it. But what, what were you thinking in real time, and how do you feel after some time processing it? That would be weird if I didn't watch those. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I watched it, um, got up at the crack of dawn here on the West Coast, and we've been sort of trying to prep our listeners for months now that they shouldn't get excited about it, uh, and that, that it's probably going to seem like a letdown because he's not going to talk about much uh, else besides what's in his report. And so I felt like I, I was sort of girded my loins for that um, maybe more than some other folks have. But, you know, as I was watching it, uh, I thought Nadler did a really good job and he did answer the questions. He answered some, you know, more questions than I thought he was going to. Uh, and it seemed a little shaky at first, but I think it picked up steam. Uh, I personally think they should have put the intelligence committee um, before the, the judiciary committee and talked about the Russian crimes, because Mueller seems to be really interested in that far more than, or at least he kind of wanted to avoid the obstruction of justice conversations because they have such big political ramifications. And he really wanted Congress to deal with that, as he said in his report. I think they should have reversed the order. And I also personally think that Dem Democrats shouldn't have done the five minute apiece thing. I think they should have had one or two professional prosecutors asking the questions so that they could do follow-up questions. They could also rebut what some of the falsehoods that the Republicans were coming out with. And uh, those those were my initial thoughts. And then I started to see uh, in the public, the only wake that I've seen come out of this is everybody discussing the optics and the performance and that they felt that Mueller wasn't confident and he looked sad and he looked bad and he looked this and he looked that. And that really starts is starting to eat away at me as time goes by because people, I, I just feel like Americans are so, they they need like entertainment and handsomeness and confidence. And, and I, I feel that that's a, a terrible byproduct of negative things and kind of like what Childish Gambino warned us about in his This Is America um, music video. And, and I, I'm, I'm actually really angry about people focusing on how he looked and how he sounded versus what he said. It's I kept saying it it turned Twitter became such assholes last night talking about it and it was this assholeness of everybody talking about him looking old and I had said something to Philippe and we have a little bit of disagreement. I think he's just a little bit hard of hearing because my mom's deaf and so it just it had to me it just felt like he just couldn't hear and I think it's such a big space that he was just having a hard time. But I, yeah. I, I, I wasn't disagreeing. I, I was actually, I was actually okay. defending him, oh. saying that you didn't have to be hard of hearing to have a hard time hearing uh, got it. in that hearing. Because I, you know, in my time working for Hillary Clinton, I've sat behind her in dozens of those, and you know, it's not exactly the optimal <laughs> audio situation. And watching it on TV, we're hearing something direct from the questioners that you're not hearing there. But in any event, I. I I think we're all – I'm not not surprised by America continuing to be, you know, kind of transparent on this stuff. But what – someone tweeted last night what I thought a very good point, which is name a member who got the better of him in either committee. And I don't think – I don't think I can. I don't, I don't think there's anyone who even came close to getting the better of him. So the insinuations of what else was going on, but the real thing that bothered me was – and I've seen, you know, stories written about you where you've talked about his syphilis-induced dementia 
his, him being Trump, the media's allergy to discussing what is a clear degradation in Trump's mental acuity, to put it politely, as compared to any interview he's done on Larry King that, you know, in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, is verboten. It's off limits. And here we are, and we're having this discussion about Mueller, and I, it's a horrible conversation, but you know what? If we're going to have it, let's have it about everyone who seems to be different <laughs> now than they were. But they won't do A that. year ago, five years ago, ten. No, they won't do it. Um, and well, I that actually tends to be Trump's uh, mo, doesn't it? Is to accuse everyone else of what he is or what he's doing. Yes, it it is amazing that everyone who disagrees with Trump seems to have some sort of dementia or craziness to them. Whether it is Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden, um, Bob Mueller. And or low IQ. Or low, low IQ. IQ. And it's their, it's their playbook, and it's, it's maddening to see the media play along with it. I, I, I tweeted about the New York Times in particular wrote a story that I thought was very disappointing. And I, it had four names on the byline, and I heard from two of them. And I said, look, I wasn't directing this at you. I just – you guys point to me in the last two years a single story you've written about his, his physical health or his mental health, and yet – and you knew – you just know the Trump people were were backgrounding reporters yesterday or sending snide text messages saying, oh, he's lost a step. I mean they, they were completely – look, his his demeanor on TV it was impossible to not see, but that doesn't mean we need to go down this horrible road of you know, dismissing the product that he came up with, which – speaking of which um, – I have two questions. One, you're, I read that you do something very interesting, which is you read and you discuss corrections that uh, your audience points out. Um, what, is, what is it that you think on the, on the other side of it? What is it you think people tend to get wrong or misunderstand about this whole process that you feel a need to educate them on? Uh, you mean the Mueller investigation? Yeah. Or the the entire Russia writ large. Uh, I personally just think that uh, you know not a lot of people follow it. Um, I you know outside of our tiny bubbles where we are, we, you know you go out into the world and somebody asks me like who's that on my shirt or what is it that you do and I say oh I have a podcast about the Mueller investigation and a lot of people say who, um. and that frightens me. So I, you know, I think based on the mission of this podcast, which was to consolidate and get all the information out there and to keep people engaged because fatigue is very um, eminent. There's a lot of pessimism uh, out there because justice moves so slowly. Uh, It's to, you know, just inform people, just to educate people, uh, just to maybe put out another, put another voice out there that's, um, getting facts out there. And yes, we do have wild speculation and we have a fantasy indictment league and we swear and we tell jokes, but we also delineate what are facts and, you know, what is what we consider justice porn, which is what we wish would happen. Who's on your fantasy indictment league? Because I what have mine. Who's, who's like your number one on your fantasy indictment league? Uh, this week it's, um, oh, who do I have? I have Nader. I have George Nader. I think he's going to be brought up on additional charges. He's already facing charges, and then he had superseding indictments last week. I think he's going to get another one um, this week. 
uh, uh, Epstein, I think, uh. could face uh, additional indictments. We have uh, Corsi, and I think Flynn could be brought up on charges. Uh, since he's no longer cooperating, he could be brought up on his charges for failing to register as a foreign agent of Turkey. So he's up there. So em- Emily and I were watching because, y- you know, you brought a couple names that, first of all, if someone doesn't know Mueller's name, they're not going to know Jerome Corsi's name, that it's a much bigger issue than people realize. And we were watching your video with uh, the, pizza. the pizza and the pizza boxes <laughs> and the pizza. Bo- first, of all, I was curious, were those just boxes or did you guys have just a massive pizza party afterwards? Those were empty pizza boxes, but uh, th- that one pizza in front of me was real, and we did eat it afterwards. So for those who didn't see it, um, you should see it. <laughs> Google, I guess, Muller, she wrote pizza. <laughs> that should bring it up. Um, but to make the point of how small of a slice of the, of the larger issue and problem and topic of Russia and obstruction and Muller, whatever you want to call the umbrella issue, um, she took a, a pie, pizza pie. And uh, basically took out one-fifteenth of it, which was sort of half of a slice, depending on what part of the country you're in. And um, then brought out another couple dozen boxes. Point being that what we've seen and what's in the report is a very small percentage of what's out there and what's still being pursued. And I'm curious what where – do you, where do you think – this goes from here, not just in Congress, but, you know, talking about the the um, indictment fantasy league. You've got a lot of people who who think, OK, we're going to SDNY. The Southern District of New York is going to get him when he leaves office. Um, all these kind of fantasies of of justice down the road being served and curious what you think more down to earth. Um, we're going to be looking at the days, weeks, months, and years ahead. I, I guess it all depends on Trump's behavior while he's still in office. If he can somehow, if he does something like defy a Supreme Court order uh, that could actually flip Senate Republicans and, and induce them to convict and remove the president and he's impeached, I think Pence would pardon him and all of his buddies. And so I think nothing would happen. Uh, that's kind of why I'm almost for an impeachment where the Senate doesn't convict, because then we can hold the Senate responsible for acquitting him, run against that in 2020, and then vote him out in 2020. And then he is susceptible uh, to being prosecuted for these crimes, because most of these federal crimes carry a five-year statute of limitations. And if he were reelected, that would push him past the period of being able to be prosecuted for these. And that's not to say that a new administration wouldn't come in and do what Obama did when he took over, which was say, we're going to move forward. We're not going to look at the war crimes of the past president. We're not going to prosecute anything. But I I do think these crimes are a a little different and a little more obvious. But, you know, what do I know? Uh, I do want everyone to think that, quite I should say, I don't want everyone to get their hopes up about justice because it just, it will we will get it, but it can take a while. And sometimes it doesn't take the form we want it to take. Like if you ever listen to Rachel Maddow's Bagman with Spiro Agnew, they just made this deal. They said, tell you what, you resign, we won't prosecute you. And so a lot of people felt that justice wasn't being served in that case because he's taken dirty envelopes full of cash for, you know, for federal government contracts. And all we got out of it was his resignation. 
So it, justice might not look the way people want it to always, but I do think it will happen. It just might not be as exciting or flashy as people want it to be, particularly looking at how people thought that Mueller's testimony wasn't as flashy and as exciting as they wanted it to be. But what I, I'm, I'm curious what you think what form they'll take, because what I, you know, personally, I'm very pro impeachment in a just very simple. He's absolutely committed impeachable offenses, and that's what it's for. And he is an open wound. And politics aside, um, we should pursue it. And taking politics into account, I don't think it's that easy of a, of a calculus. And 1998 is not analogous. And as you just said, there actually could be political upsides if the House were to do its role, but um, the Senate were to absolutely make it abundantly clear that they are who they've been acting the last two years, and that would be something to hold against 2020. But what what I really fear is, and in the wake of Mueller um, and in the Speaker's comments and just what's being written and reported about what's going on within the Democratic caucus in the House, it seems very unlikely that there will be formal impeachment. What I what I worry about is the the I, the possibility, then um, the at least fifty percent possibility that um, there is no formal inquiry, there is no formal steps. That this kind of dies on the vine, and we beat him in twenty twenty, and then everyone says, "Well, you see." Um, that was the right thing to do. See, justice was served. And there's something about that that I find bothersome in, in that he, <laughs> he is being given the exact same – and I don't I don't need the guy to go to jail to feel justice being served. I like do. That. Well, yeah, but, I do too. I absolutely – But it's, not, it's I, not going to happen. It's and not I don't think happen. losing an election is the service of justice because, I exactly. mean, you know, what did Al Gore do to deserve to a, not a, win the election? This is exactly what drives me crazy is that he should not have the same opportunity to keep the job that Barack Obama had, that Ronald Reagan had, that both Bushes had. Like there should be something. There has to be some sort of ticket or fine. And I, you know. I avoid saying it directly, but I do believe it's worth pursuing um, almost the outcome be damned because, you know, to go back to what you were saying about watching the um, the documentary about what happened, I don't think, you know, 10, 20, 30 years from now it's going to look or feel so great that we just sat by and, and – hope that an election would take care of it. Well, I think that's why we want SDNY. We are looking for some kind of hero. We're wanting... I, I want to see him frog-marched across the White House lawn and go into prison. He's not going to. I know, but I think that's what we want to see, or I, I feel like that's... that we need to see justice in that way, and knowing that we're not going to see any of that, and I fear that maybe he'll lose in 2020, but nothing else but will we, happen. We can't... The larger we can't control what SDNY, SDNY does... The Congress can control what it does. I know, but nobody's doing anything. Yeah, and maybe take your hopes a little off of SDNY now that Bill Barr yeah. is there yeah. and put it a little more on Tish James, the New York Attorney General. Yeah, and she doesn't have to wait, does she? No, yeah. and she's also not covered by that Office of Legal Counsel bullshit memo that says you can't indict a sitting president. And she's already been talking about how she's— Hates she's, his guts. <laughs> she, she literally just hates him and has, you know— a voodoo doll of him in her in her office. There's yeah. um, there's one there's something you said that I I 
found interesting you were one of these bios being written about about you um you said you wanted to make the show your podcast um entirely hosted by women because quote women have a different sense of justice and i found that very interesting but i also don't entirely understand it um Imagine because I'm for Mars. <laughs> I'm high-fiving you a million times right now for that, by the way. Imagine, I mean, I, 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 I guess know, my I not getting it, it makes the point yes. of it, but I, I right. genuinely want to understand. Uh, I just, I think that uh, women have a different view of justice. I think our view of justice is includes laws and facts, but I think it also includes empathy and compassion um, mostly because of, you know, being a woman, you know, getting paid less, uh, being subject to sexual harassment, getting 20 dick pics a day. Uh, and I think, but even before dick pics and harassment were a thing, we decided to depict justice and liberty as women. And I think it, I think it just has to do with that empathy and compassion component. Not to say, not to say that men don't have that. Uh, I just think it's, you know, it's a, kind of a different lens um, because of some of the stuff we've been through. And it's not better or worse. I think it's just different. So when I said he'll never go to jail and you both said you wanted to see him go to jail, is that an example of that? Yes. Oh, sorry. But for me, it is because I feel like we've because of of the inequality we've had so often to see that justice, which is very black and white, someone does something wrong and they should suffer the consequences. That to me feels like that's what that's justice to me. Dr driven from office wouldn't count. No, driven from office. He should be driven from office, but he should also be paying the time. He should be going like that to me is him being served. If he doesn't, if he doesn't go to prison, he doesn't get frog marched, which won't happen. Then to me, it's another dude getting away with it. Yeah, and I'd actually be willing to accept like an Agnew type. If if Tish James, New York Attorney General, went to Trump and said, I have these 28, 86, 114 felony indictments that I'm going to bring against you and your family and your daughter, uh, which I assume is his family, um, <laughs> unless or if you want, uh, I will in exchange, I'll do a deal with you where I'll make this all go away if you resign. Uh would I take that? I, I'd like to think that I would, but being so close to the election where we can vote him out and then prevent him from being pardoned by Pence and prevent Pence from also being the president. But then again, you know, waiting in between all the time between now and then, how many people are going to die? How many kids are going to die in cages? How many people are going to be kicked off their health care? How many uh, Guatemalans are going to be banned from uh, seeking asylum in our country when we stripped aid from in the first place, et cetera. I mean, like millions and millions of, you know, things that happen to people that don't have as much privilege as I do. And, and I, I worry about that. It keeps me up at night. Like, what what's the trade-off? What is justice? It's a hard question. Well, again, he's an open wound. If this were just about a meeting in the summer of 2016 in Trump Tower with Russians and what their intent was and what they did and, you know, maybe his firing of Comey and then nothing beyond that. You could maybe rationalize it as these are crimes in the past. Um, but again, I mean, we're seeing this happen every day, sometimes multiple times a day, which is why the notion, even if SDNY wasn't a fantasy and even if it's, uh, you know, wasn't that far off, it seems not to be 
the answer. And I, it just seems that too many people are putting faith in that because they don't know where else to put faith because everything before that um, has failed them. And uh, I, I really, I hope uh, it's heartening to hear that you think there's going to be some form of justice somewhere. Um, I have to believe that. I mean, because I, you know, I'm a disabled veteran and I'm disabled for, you know, because of <clears throat> my wanting to protect the Constitution and uphold the rule of law. And if I don't have faith in that, I would just probably spiral into some terrible headspace and not recover. So I absolutely have to have faith in that. And, and I kind of feel like it's almost my job now to help other people sort of also keep faith and and uh and hope and it's hard though it's hard well no but what you're doing is crucial because you know people are scattered you know the the republicans accuse the democrat party of um (laughs) of being the coastal elites and there's nothing in between but there are tens of millions of people who did not vote for donald trump who live in missouri who live in kentucky who live in texas and they are not in workplaces where it is safe to talk about this. And not only that, they might be in workplaces where they have to hear people high-fiving each other about Trump's latest indignity. And I think um, a podcast like yours and just laying out the facts but also the sense of community is is vital to people these days because obviously whenever – one side loses the other side makes them feel terrible about it and tells them to get over it but there's a a different vitriol here than when john mccain lost or al gore lost or mitt romney lost although al gore might have been a bad example and Mm -hmm. um the fact that you're You're just trying to find a democrat who's lost yeah yeah it's hard carter (laughs) well you also do it (laughs) I think you do it with so much humor, which is, I think, the reason why there's such a popularity with what you're doing and why it's resonated so much, because I think that's it's the sugar in which to take the poison, you know, in Mm -hmm. order to hear the message. And I think that's what you guys do so well with it and why it's, you know, why so many people listen in and are are understanding what's going on. Basically, we we have we have podcast. We have podcast envy. We do. I was like, oh, they're so good. (laughs) No, it's it's, uh, you know. And it's just I want to bore down on one thing that is a pet peeve of mine, but it seems to be of yours, too, because on one of your episodes, you really focused on leaks out of the New York um, FBI field office. And I'm uh, I'm not sure if you meant pre-election or post. Um, my pet peeve is pre. Um, is that what you're referring to? Yeah, I am actually referring to mostly, yes, pre, but specifically the Wiener laptop threat yes. that could have forced Comey to mm-hmm. reopen publicly the Hillary investigation email thing in order to just get out in front of the message. Please just go on forever talking about this because <laughs> I, I, you the, know. You know, what's interesting is the the inspector general report was due out on that six, eight months ago. Oh, I know. And I feel like it's been blocked. Um, it's been blocked from us seeing it. Yeah. I mean, why would it take two and a half years to figure out who exactly in September and October of 2016 was, uh, A, talking to the press, but more importantly, talking to people one step away from the Trump campaign, the Trump organization, the Trump family. The obvious example or the two obvious examples were 
um, you know, Rudy Giuliani going on Fox and saying we have a you know, big oh. surprise for them. And then after the campaign, pretending that that meant um, that they had new ads. He was referring to new advertisements, even though. Yeah, Giuliani and uh, let me guess your other one, Eric Prince. Uh, no, Lara Trump. Um, oh, okay, because Prince was involved too. Uh, that I didn't know. I mean, L Lara Trump did it, um, and she did the "We have something up our sleeves." I think was the quote. And, yeah. um, you know, these people knew something, and the New York field office, and you know, we don't have time to go into this, but the New York field office and my limited experience with this stuff is it's it's its own animal, it's its own beast, and um, there's a lot of enmity in it. Um, towards Washington, and they basically played Comey with exactly what you're talking about with the Wiener um, laptop. Now, I, I've worked with um, Huma Abedin for, you know, 15 years, and I know for a fact that they gave the FBI consent right off the bat to search. So this notion sure that did. This notion that the FBI forced Comey's hand because it was the only way to get um, you know, a legal order to do it is, is crap. They basically scared Comey into right. making his announcement. And but then, but then you also have to say, ask, you know, did Comey sit on it, hoping it would just, you know, try to sit on it till after the election. But he was also worried that if it came out after the election, it could delegitimize the election of Hillary Clinton. And when I hung out with McCabe, I went to one of his book signings. We hung out. We partied in Salt Lake City with McCabe, and he 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 was an awesome dude. And he he oddly enough, his wife said, "If you could know one thing, what would it be?" And that was my immediate. That was the first thing I said. Did was were you, quote unquote, blackmailed with leaky threats from the New York field office? Blah blah blah. We haven't seen the IG report. We don't know what's going on. And uh, McCabe was like, "I can't talk about that." <laughs> so. Well, I, no, I think you're 100 percent right. I mean, my personal theory is that um, that they basically threatened Comey with tattling to Congress that he committed perjury, because if you remember, and I don't really mean this to you because I know you do. But for the larger audience, um, when Comey made his infamous declaration in October of 2016, he did it in the form of sending a letter to eight different <laughs> committees of Congress um, and he basically was explaining why um, this new development with the laptop was consistent with his previous testimony. If you look at a lot of things Comey has done over the last three, four years, they revolve around him seemingly fearful of perjury. And that seems uh, to be how they pushed his buttons. Yeah, I think so, too. And that and that and also you know, threatening either, you know, maybe they didn't, maybe the FBI, New York field office and Giuliani and Prince and Laura Trump didn't threaten to go to Congress. They could have been threatening to go to the press. And, and that kind of, uh, quote unquote, I guess, optical mishandling of that part of the investigation would have been a huge black eye for the FBI, which I know, uh, if, you know, if Comey's anything, he's very protective of the reservoir of trust that the you know Department of Justice and FBI has built, and he wants to be independent, and that's clear. Uh, I think he is a little ego-driven and sort of likes the spotlight. And sometimes I wonder, what if Mueller were the director of the FBI that, that Trump fired and Comey were appointed as special counsel? I think we would have had a very different hearing yesterday. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's I, 
I really think that he was pressured into whether it was we're going to tell Congress or we're going to tell the public or whatever it was to come out to get ahead of the story. That is something commonly that the government does. Public relations people do. Uh, I unfortunately, even though I've got a quote unquote friend who knows what happened, I still don't know. And that again, that IG report was due last year and we still don't have it. Do you think we'll ever get it? I don't think. Well, he's. We're going to get an IG report, but it's going to be about about whether or not the opening of the investigation was handled properly. Oh, yes. The oranges of the investigation. Yeah, we're going to get an IG report on that. But, but, you know, they already talked to Christopher Steele and reportedly he was extremely credible and they were quite surprised by what what he had to say. So I I think Horowitz is a good inspector general, but we'll just hear Trump basically saying, oh, he's an Obama guy and he'll end up firing him and hiring someone else. Yeah. Well, AG, is there anything else we should know to keep our hopes up? And I don't even mean the audience. I mean, me and Emily. (laughs) Just because I'm in a fetal position constantly. We're a little little deflated. (laughs) If you couldn't tell. The first thing is, is if if Trump fires Horowitz, just don't stop trying to find his IG report on the New York FBI field office leaks. Don't don't forget about it. Don't let it go uh, unaddressed. And. Honestly, the only thing I can tell you is that we've been through stuff like this before and we've survived it, um, you know, judiciously like what? it is pretty unprecedented, but I, and I think that this is probably the final test of our, our judicial system. If, if we can make it through this, I think we're fine for the next 500 years. But if we don't, I don't know. Uh, New Zealand. Let's go to New Zealand. I always say Canada looks nice this time of year. Yeah. I'll go with you guys. We'll, have, we'll start a whole new radio network, and it'll be awesome. Who are you, uh, before we let you go, I'm just curious, who are you excited about for 2020? I really like the women in this. I really love Elizabeth Warren. I think she's uh, Elizabeth's the new Bernie. And uh, I think she's got a plan and I love her. I love her plans. And I know that that's going to be important to run on in 2020, even though I do think we should have somebody, whoever it's going to be run against Trump. This is going to be a referendum on him. But I do really like her. I like Buttigieg. Uh, I like um, I like all the top contenders right now, except for Biden. He's not my favorite, but um, I've uh promised my vote to whomever women of color vote for in the primary. I'm going to vote for that person. And then <laughs> whoever wins. Right. Yeah. What was that? Because they're always right. Yes, they're absolutely yep. always right. right. And yeah. um, I don't need my vote as much as they need my vote. And so I'm going to vote for whoever that is. And then obviously whoever wins, I'm going to vote for that person. I have a bumper sticker on my car right now that says the Democrat 2020. <laughs> That's it's pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, well, hopefully we won't pick someone that. I mean, it's going to be a tougher slog than I think people realize because, you know, you're right about it being a referendum on Trump, but that doesn't mean, you know, to go back to what you were battling about, Russia. Well, also, but, but Marianne Williamson, you know what? Uh, Marianne Williamson wouldn't beat Trump. He no. just wouldn't. No. That entire stage would be better than Trump, but that's not what we're looking for. Like we being the country, not three of us although i am yeah. looking forward to hearing her at the debate just because i find her where there's a sick there's a sick you know there's a reason why the apprentice and the bachelor go on for so many seasons that people have a morbid desire to see how it turns out and well, i don't know that we're we're looking to go back to normalcy i don't think that's I think what she's fabulous but i wouldn't vote for her no but she's amazing i want to read my chakras yes. come on guys yeah 
I, I'm, I'm saying I wouldn't vote for her in the primary. If for some <laughs> weird reason she wins, I'll vote for whoever the Democrat is. I don't care. But, but you kind you know of want to go to a llama farm with her yes. at some point. Nope. And totally. play with some Maybe alpacas. She's going to New Zealand with us. Nope. We're Absolutely. All done. I think she'd be great. I want to go nowhere with her. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. And um, for those who want to listen to us um, more often, Emily, how do they? I always, <laughs> Emily's got a better routine on this. It's not that I'm, he it's just not that I'm outsourcing me. this. <laughs> kind of are. You can go to Deep State Radio Network, go to the website, and you can listen to us. We're at Unredacted. You can also go to anywhere you find uh, your your good podcasts, iTunes, et cetera. And if you like us, rate us, rank us so that other people can find us. And you can also do the same for Muller She Wrote. And you can listen to really smart, smart, amazing, funny women talk about all that is happening, Muller. And I so appreciate that what you guys do so, so much. So thank you for that. Uh, Thank you. And we do have a new daily news podcast that just debuted this week called the daily beans. So check that out. It's not, it's, it's us doing our thing, but, and giving you the news progressive style, but it's just not molar focused. Congrats, by the way. That's great. Congratulations and good luck with that. Thanks. And thanks for your show too. Thanks for all you guys do. I appreciate you having me on. No, thank you. Our pleasure. Have a good one. Okay. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Deep state radio is a production of the deep state radio network a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.